Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action. I have been. Entertainment Reviews. Never shall be. Podcast. Your friend. I suspect our future is there waiting for us. Make it so. The truth is, I don't believe in the no-win scenario. Is that what you believe in, James T? You must learn to govern your passions. The captain cannot cheat death. This could just be the beginning. You know, it's exciting. I swear to you, we're not finished yet. All hands to battle stations. In three, two, one. Engage. Our Star Trek film series retrospective begins. On this episode, we will be discussing and reviewing Star Trek, the original motion pictures. I will do everything I can to make you answer for what you did. This is about saving the future of humanity. I do not deserve to live. Fine, I'll kill you later. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? Remember, live long and prosper. This podcast will contain spoilers. So, this is goodbye. I will be back. You better be. You ain't seen nothing yet. And now, here are your hosts for this retrospective. Mike Winkler, Jeremy Larson, and Jason Kabasik. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews podcast. And we're back with another retrospective. We take a break from our Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. And we've moved on to the Star Trek Film Series podcast, uh, suggested by Jeremy Larson here uh, last month before we uh, started our Marvel one. Uh, definitely want to dig deep into this one. This is quite the film series to get into. So Mike Winkler here with Jeremy Larson yes, and uh, returning for his and second Jason return Kabasik. podcast is Jason Kabasik. Yes. All right, guys. Well, let's just start with the uh, one of the most hated ones, the motion picture. Let's start with your guys' thoughts on that. I feel like it could have been much better than it was, but everyone got so trigger happy yeah. with the special effects that it turned into one big spectacle <laughs> i mean yeah i i look at it like this they and this is the first actual like movie they did from the tv series they had done pre prior to this that they were jumping out the gate to try and make this into a giant blockbuster and it kind of fell that it kind of fell flat on its face a little bit yeah this movie was released in the shadow of star wars and uh, close encounters yes and uh you can tell they were trying very hard to duplicate this success especially with the v'ger cloud it came off very close encounterish and uh sadly the movie just runs it runs on fumes it just the, the whole the whole villain being a cloud and it's just a very dialogue driven sci-fi film that tries too much to be 2001 a space odyssey mm -hmm. yeah mm-hmm It just, it, I felt like there was so much looking at things rather than doing things in this film. <laughs> it, it was just, oh, yeah. um, here's a cloud. Here's the Enterprise. Here's the inside of the Enterprise. Here's a big room that you never see again in the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, so many rooms it's you just, don't it, see. It's so many characters they just all of a sudden insert into this too. Characters that are just basically one-offs that never appear again in any mm -hmm. one of these films. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, I agree. But again, again, they're also probably trying to set a storyline for future movies going throughout uh, the franchise. So maybe that's what they're trying to develop in this case too. But then again, I have to agree with Jeremy here that 
they were just so special effect happy on this that yeah it just did not work out as well as they were hoping there's a pretty uh there's a pretty rugged history with this too i was reading up on this uh, yesterday that um the 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 studio was trying so hard to duplicate those other movies and uh roddenberry was pushing very hard for the story that he was doing here and uh even though the movie did okay financially paramount wasn't happy with it and they actually pushed roddenberry out and they went with the team that did the wrath of khan because they wanted to do something that was a little bit smaller in budget which as we all know ended up working perfectly with wrath of khan oh yep. of course mm -hmm. for sure I, I think the, the, like you guys were saying, this villain didn't really feel like a villain. It just felt like a, it felt like a very dumbed down, like Q being that you'd find in the next generation. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it ended up being a, 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 a live satellite or something like that. What was it at the end? I can't it, even remember. It was a long lost probe of some sort, but I don't really understand to this, to this day, like why did it cause this big cloud that was so dangerous to civilizations and, and humanity? And I don't know, the movie's two and a half hours of just one piece of dialogue oh, so after the other. Yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, what was it? It was trying to figure like out of all the things that it did understand of humanity, it did not understand like love or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what it ended up being the big... Trying to understand humanity, humanity, but couldn't understand love. So in other words, uh, a, another version of Sulu? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, well, let's think about that one. I mean, Sulu doesn't get, a, doesn't get an actual love interest till Star Trek Beyond. I mean... Although, I don't know if in the original series he ended up ever having one. I can't recall back. Uh, well, it, the thing is, is that he is technically given one, but we don't know about it mm -hmm. because of uh, his daughter in uh, Generations being mm -hmm. the, the pilot of the Enterprise B. So he did have a love life, but it was outside of Starfleet. Yeah, n definitely not uh, shown or brought up really it, at all. Mm -hmm. it, it really focuses more on the main like four characters and Sulu and Chekhov mm -hmm. kind of take a back burner on most of the movies very much so they don't got Scotty in there for... that was to be expected though yeah yeah I mean if you go yeah. back to the original series too it's like really the main focus was always on Spock and Kirk it seemed like it, it was very rare that one of the other crew members was actually given a, an episode or a storyline of their own. Not like today, in, you know, in serialized TV, where if you have an ensemble cast, they're always given at least an episode or two in a season where it's about them, their backstory, where yep. this wasn't the case with really with any Star Trek show until I think maybe Voyager. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the original cast of Star Trek and the original series wasn't as progressive as we find TNG or Voyager or Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Is the once you get past the original cast, it gets a lot more open minded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. Cause, uh, no, I agree too. Watching the original series today, I mean, it's just it's it's very straightforward. There's not all these uh, all these different storylines and, and possibilities and different things that Next Generation started diving into, and even Next Generation, the early seasons, just kind of lightly scratches that surface before it really gets mm-hmm. into uh, coming into its own. Um, but yep. yeah, you're right. It's almost like the original series was in a way playing it safe in the beginning. It was too safe, mm-hmm. and that's what almost destroyed it in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the only Star Trek series that only lasts three seasons, so. Mm-hmm. Thank God for Lucille Ball. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would okay, think? I have Lucille to. I, <laughs> I also have to wonder. Like I, I don't know why, but until this year, I didn't realize that the eighth of September was Star Trek Day. Yeah, I didn't either till today until I saw these big different things either, on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, neither did I. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was something that was just self-made by everybody. It was just, oh, let's point it at Star Trek. No, mm-hmm. we don't want First Contact Day in April. We want it right here in September because it's right now. Yep, yep. It's almost like Star Trek needed its own day. They saw Star Wars Day and they're like, oh, well, we got to do our own day. So you know what? September 8th mm-hmm. sounds like a good, good, good time as any to do it. <laughs> no significance to the whole thing. It's just September 8th. That's just the day they picked out on the calendar. That's it, guys. Well, September 8th, it was 54 years ago on September 8th that the first episode of the original series aired on TV. Well, then that is, that is fair it. then. Okay. Okay, yeah, that makes it have a it's little It's a little more bit more significant, but it's a date less known by a lot of people in the yeah. Star Trek fandom. Yeah, I, I didn't even well, know you know, that. Unless That's you're heavily in the Star Trek fandom, you're not going to know that. I, I consider myself a very heavy Star Trek fan. Me too. But it is so, so hard to watch the original series. It's incredibly difficult because it's dated. so dry. It's long-winded. It is yeah. very dated. Mm-hmm. The movie, the movie's definitely it does not lay out like the, like the series. I'm going to go out on a record and say that I, the original Star Trek, I despise. I was more of a Picard guy than a Kirk guy. Mm-hmm. Yep, always. I always preferred film Kirk over series Kirk because series Kirk to me came off True. like a conceited pompous ass where in the movies he, he grew up. He seemed like a mature captain, like a Picard in the show. He's just, he's hard to tolerate. He's very hard to tolerate in the original series. In the, sh- in the show, he's very uh, two dimensional. He becomes more complex in the movies, mm-hmm. specifically Wrath of Khan, <laughs> because you're seeing in, in the motion picture, you're seeing the transition of, TV Kirk to movie Kirk. Mm-hmm. I think so. And at the end of that, it's just like, okay, we're letting this all go. Let's let it all go. <laughs> yeah. Well, giving him that storyline with Carol Marcus and his son and everything in, in, in two and three and dealing with that whole Klingon mm-hmm. thing with the death of his son is just, it gives Kirk finally layers to finally relate to him mm-hmm. as a character. Absolutely. I mean, loved- it only took how long? Like 14 years? Mm. Well, I mean, when you look at it, though, I, I don't know if you guys ever seen the um, the documentary of Spock. The, mm-hmm. um, no, I haven't. It's really good. I really recommend it. I watched the entire thing. I, uh, I can't. It's on Netflix, if you can find it. What's it called? Um, okay. I want to say it's just Live Long and Prosper okay. or just Spock. I can't remember. So what does it do? Is it like, For the love of Spock. So what is, what it is it breaks down? Spock. Yes, it breaks down the life of uh, Leonard Nimoy, 
Okay. In the fact that Spock was kind of the the big thing about Star Trek. It wasn't really more about Kirk. It was a lot about Spock. Right. And, you know, it, it talks about the entirety going through up until, you know, right before he passed away and being in Star Trek Into Darkness. Mm. Like, it... it He's just a very, I, I loved Leonard Nimoy. I really did in the new movies. I was so glad it was him, and I'm so glad it wasn't Kirk. <laughs> it wouldn't oh, yeah. have worked. Yeah, uh, I, I can't imagine Shatner fitting into that Chris Pine universe. It just, Mm-mm. no way. I mean, I'm still, I was still waiting this entire time for Shatner to pop in. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially with the whole time travel thing, you'd think, oh, they're going to find a way to retcon Kirk's death in Generations. And mm-hmm. we've, already, we've already been there, done that. We already retconned his death in the beginning of that film. Just to do it again would have felt really forced. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, well, I can't really think of much else to talk about as far as the motion picture. I mean, that movie it's, basically it's, speaks for itself. It is very. If you want to watch it, kudos to you. Yeah. I could if wish you want to get much. started, some like at the beginning of the film series, start there. Watch yep. it through. If you can manage to find yourself sitting through a dry two and a half hour movie, you are a better person for it. Mm-hmm. Me, the first few times I watched it, I think I fell asleep halfway through. It's easy to do. The last time I watched it, which was like a month ago, I fell asleep halfway through. Because yeah, it was just, it was, it was boring. There was nothing to catch your eye. They wanted so much to catch your eye that nothing caught your eye. Everything was so special, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tried to sit through the first half hour with this for this podcast, and um, I was like, uh-uh, I'm putting in Wrath of Khan. I, I can't do it. I just can't do this. Couldn't do it. Couldn't waste two and, and a half hours. That, I did my best at work, too, watching this mm-hmm. for, like, the first hour of the movie. And it was in, like, 10-minute increments where I'm like, all right, I got through 10 minutes of this. I can go do something else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I think that's a perfect segue to go into uh, Wrath of Khan. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. What a whole different feel and vibe to this movie. I mean, just the way it starts off, you immediately jump into something that that motion picture didn't even really have. Uh, well, of this course. Is, it's, it's a fake space battle, but hey, at least it was a space battle. Yes. And it brought back one of... It, it, it gave something new for the new fans, and it brought something back for the old fans. It brought back Khan. Yeah. Khan made that movie oh yes, yeah. he did he was oh, yeah. he was the he was fierce in that movie it was absolutely just he was intimidating throughout the whole thing because he had nothing left to to really lose besides himself and the rest of his crew no i mean i mean i, I to me i i don't really remember i i wish I, before i watched this i would have watched the episode that he was in the space seed yeah but based upon what i remember from that episode I mean, Khan is so much more menacing here than he was in that. I mean, so yeah. much more menacing. Mm. But the fact that they took a character that was in one episode in the original series, and this movie, I think, is how many years far removed from maybe that episode? 13, 14 years? Uh, uh, 15 uh, years? Yeah, wow. it had to have been about 14, 15 years. So, I mean, the die, only the diehard Star Trek fans are going to remember his character because there's no recap. There's nothing here that's, that's going back into old territory. We're giving lines of dialogue with him and Chekhov, referencing how he was left on City Alpha 5 and, and, and such. But we're not really given 
a full backstory, which is fine because it doesn't force people to have to go back and watch the series to watch this film. But um, mm-hmm. just the fact that Khan just becomes this memorable villain in, in the Star Trek universe when he was only in one episode is a credit to Ricardo Montalban because his, his performance was so commanding. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think, and I, I, people don't like me for saying this, but I think the only person who could have pulled it off in the rebooted universe was Benedict Cumberbatch. Yep. Yep. Ooh, yeah. I don't think... Yeah, any, I have to agree with that. No one else could have pulled it off so flawlessly as Cumberbatch did. No, no. The only I, guy... That speaks volumes to the actor that Cumberbatch is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only guy that I remember being rumored to play Khan before Cumberbatch was casted was, if you remember in the show Lost, um, I forget what the character's name was. Um, oh, crap. He also played the sheriff in the new Bates Motel series. If you guys have ever seen it. Check this out. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Yeah, We just started watching that not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Wish I could remember oh, uh, uh, Nestor Carbonell? Yes. There was a rumor that Abrams was looking at him because he worked with them on Lost. And he kind of had that Montalban look to him a mm-hmm. little bit. But yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, I just don't know if he would have had the same commanding performance as, as, as Cumberbatch no. in that film. No, I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. That's not just because I'm biased to go with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> no, I just, yeah. because It's like I'm sitting here watching the uh, Sherlock Holmes series that Cumberbatch did. Uh, mm-hmm. And looking at it now, it's like I couldn't picture anyone else for that role. Mm-hmm. It's like I think mm-hmm. of that, I think of Cumberbatch. Just like with the new series, the new Star Trek movies, when we saw the con it's all I can picture is Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's standing with him and Doctor Strange, too. I can't really picture anybody else playing Stephen Strange. I can't now. For sure. But there is one, there's one criticism I have for The Wrath of Khan, and that's okay. the fact that Chekhov is the one who says he, you know, he remembers him being there and the whole story between uh, Khan and Kirk and back in Space Seed when Chekhov wasn't in that episode. Mm-hmm. He actually didn't show up until like a season and a half later. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Chekhov was not there. Now that's interesting. But then again, I mean, they're, they're going to have little plot holes like that yeah. all over the place. I think mm-hmm. Chekhov was the only one that worked out to have been there. I mean, he could have definitely studied the Enterprise logs and everything to figure mm-hmm. out what happened between those two. Right. But <laughs> that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good point. Because you know what? It, it would have worked if Chekhov would have just had his lines there saying he remembered him because he could have looked, looked in the archives. He could have looked up the history of it before he had been on the Enterprise. But the fact that Khan says, I remember you, how do yeah. you remember him? How? You never saw mm-hmm. him. So, yeah, yeah that, that is a little bit of a plot hole. And but... the, the, the problem uh, is that none of the other characters could have pulled off the role that Chekhov played in the movie either. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to do that to a woman in the movie. Not, no. not at that point in time. Mm-mm. They're not going to do it to Kurt or Spock. Doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah. Right. Hey, what Sulu? What, you're gonna throw Sulu into some random situation like that? I feel like Chekhov was <laughs> yeah. the one that fit. Yeah, he he was yeah, the best one. The, for it. He was the best one for it. Because I couldn't have seen somebody like Bones or um or Scotty doing that either. I just that. Yeah. It would have felt weird. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they needed an in, and Chekhov was the way to do it. <laughs> yep, he was the one to do it. And, and, and I could credit to him, too, because uh, this is probably the one movie probably out of the whole entire six films where he has his best performance. Mm-hmm. He's given yeah, the most absolutely. to do here. Mm-hmm. And all oh, the other movies. I got like, like little trivia mm-hmm. facts and all here pulled up from the film. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul Winfield, who plays the ill-fated Captain Terrell, uh, wasn't done with Star Trek despite his character phasering himself instead of letting the earworm chew on his brain. Oh God! Nine years later, he appeared as Captain Dathan in an episode of uh, The Next Generation entitled Darmok. Huh. The episode is apparently widely considered to be one of the best Next Generation ever produced. Oh, I love Darmok. Darmok is mm-hmm. such a good episode. Mm-hmm. A lot of people give that crap because it's it doesn't seem like a good episode, but it is. I think it is. It speaks volumes of how we need to, as a community, as a society, need to help communicate with one another. Sure. Yeah, oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us are so impatient to get to that communication, we're not willing to listen. Exactly. We try and force our own way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh... No, it's funny because there are a lot of actors, if you look throughout every Star Trek series, you will see numerous actors playing different roles. It's it's like it's a constant thing in Star Trek where they just feel like, oh, he's been on the show before. Let's bring him back because, you know, he's a legacy character. He's a legacy actor. Just bring him back on instead of hiring oh, somebody new. I was actually going to bring that up when it came to, to five and six, uh, when it came to the, the human ambassador who also plays um, Chancellor Gorkin who also oh, yeah. plays a Cardassian in TNG. Mm-hmm. He, he's a fantastic actor, but it's just like, okay, I'm seeing you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're playing different roles. All these people in the universe look just like you. That's just kind of, you know, <laughs> coincidental, but okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I have a question for you guys, and I don't know about this, because I know in Star Trek VI, Michael Dorn mm-hmm. reprises or is, is a Klingon, but is he supposed to be Worf at that point? I don't think so. I think he might have been... Oh. I don't know. Let me check it out. Because I, I, mean, I would assume not. Because it's so obvious. I watch it. I'm like, oh, look, it's Worf in the Kirk era. How is this possible? Because it's supposed to be, what, 75 uh, the years? The grandfather. He's the grandfather of uh, Worf in um, TNG. Okay, so so the guy in Star Trek Six is Worf's grandfather. Yeah, he's, he's a okay. colonel. He's Colonel Worf. Mm-hmm. Uh, he accompanied the Chancellor Zetber to Camp Kittimer where the mm-hmm. peace conference was to be held uh, yeah like he was he was okay. there at the end too so it was just more of a give it time <laughs> I okay, know he looks so, like the same guy but you can make it you can be, make it be the same guy it makes sense to me no it makes sense because now, now, now that it's family it, yeah it mm-hmm. makes sense now so that works Okay, that's not a, that's not like a weird continuity error or anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Going back to uh, Wrath of Khan, your what are your guys's take? Do you think that Kirk would have actually taken the admiral position in the first place? 
Um, or do you think he would have stuck with being a captain after the events of the motion picture? I would think that he'd stick with being captain. It's hard because, I mean, with Spock being so close to him and losing him, I feel like him staying on as captain would be a, a harsh reminder. You know, being on the ship and well, Spock never being there. No, no, there. no, no, no. I'm talking about I'm talking about after the motion picture going into. Oh, okay, okay. Retcon. Yeah, no, um, yeah, most definitely staying captain because based upon, you know, I mean, I look at the beginning of the Connor and I see how much it bothers him to be admiral, and not be on a ship. Mm-hmm. After everything that happened in the motion picture, I think that might have kind of would have kind of inspired him to go back to the Enterprise. Yeah. Exactly, since he was trying to fight for that position of captain in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. Definitely should have stayed yeah. as captain. Yeah. Okay. And I, um, I do like how, I, I like the whole transition of two, three, and four, because it's like, a, it's very all at the same time, basically. It's, basically it a trilogy. continues one after another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think I remember at one time when the, when the movies came out on DVD for the first time, Paramount actually put out two, three, and four in its own little trilogy set because they they actually recognized the fact that those three movies are are separate from the rest of them because they tell their own story and they're the only ones in the whole series that really have that full-on continuity other than Star Trek VI with being the reference back to Kirk's son's death again. But... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... it. Final Frontier does dive into the fact that it's a new enterprise or refit enterprise, mm-hmm. and that's why it has all the problems. But part of me doesn't like talking about that movie. <laughs> I have to ask, how many refits or how many different Enterprise A's were there? It was the the Constitution class. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just 1701, and then it was the one that we see in Wrath of Khan to um, Search for Spock. To uh, Search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Then that one explodes. Then it's the uh, 1701A refit. Okay. So it's basically it's upgrading it to the point right before you'd hit the Excelsior class. And that's when that's when uh, okay. you know Generations comes along and then it's just like, okay, A has to be decommissioned to move alongside for B which is going to be better. Okay, I got yeah. two questions. So the the Enterprise in the motion picture, are they going with the fact that that's supposed to be the same Enterprise as the original series? N- no. If they that's... if they did, they didn't explain it well. Mm-mm. Because it look it it's it is the it is the regular Enterprise. It's not the one with the the round in the cells. Right. I don't know what happened to that or what I haven't watched the series in so long. It's just been, it doesn't, I don't know if it's the same one at the end of the series or, or what. Yeah. It seems to be a running pattern. I'm noticing with, with, with the ships, because I mean, it's the same mistake that the Chris Pine movies make with the enterprise looking like an Apple store, you know, um, versus nowhere near what it looks like in the original series. I mean, even discovery did it right. The way Discovery made the Enterprise look was pretty close to the original series that they could possibly get it without it making look looking you know ridiculous from the '60s. Yeah. But uh, I, to me, 
since it's never really referenced in motion picture, I almost feel like they're trying to say it's the same Enterprise, but they're trying to make you think, well, it's been far removed many years from the original series. Maybe people will just ignore the fact that the ship looks a lot more updated. Because how many, how many years after the five-year mission is the motion picture? See, now that's a I good question. That's, because then that would, it would make sense to put in little modifications to the ship here and there to make it look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But um, although I, I will have to disagree with you on the the new movies, I think the Enterprise looks fantastic. Oh, in, I think so too. I, it doesn't look an Apple movie Store, movie. but I love it though. Yes, I it does. Love it. <laughs> although I'm kind of disappointed by the but fact it, that we haven't gotten a sequel to Beyond because I really, really want to see what the refit uh, A is going to look like that we don't get a chance to see the inside of. Yeah, it's going to be hard to do that to do the next movie. I think after mm-hmm. that. Yeah, Mostly because you're you're not going to have Chekhov right at all, mm-hmm. and okay. if you try, if you try with Chekhov, it's not going to work. People are going to hate you for it. Mm-mm. No, you can't recast like, that. You you can't recast it, and you can't do the same thing that they did with uh, like Carrie Fisher in Rogue One. No. Like you can't you can't do the the face on somebody else's and to try and make it work. It's just not. There's no way. No, the only way they could possibly sell it is if they say, you know, Chekhov got assigned to another ship, you know, or something. They could, they yeah. could try that. That's the only thing I can think of. Mm-hmm. The thing is, they would definitely need to add another dynamic into the crew that would re- not, it would kind of be a fill-in for Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Maybe, it, maybe it would give them a chance to come up with something original and create a new character that we can all grow to, to like. It would mm-hmm. probably become like more of an important character because he's so new. Well, did you get the sense she, that, that Jayla at the end of Beyond might might in fact become part of the Enterprise crew eventually when she goes through Starfleet Academy? Oh, that's a tough question. Mm. It's a really tough question because she's very chaotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if she'd be able to do Starfleet. I think she would definitely go on her own and be sort of a gun for hire yeah she's like really very 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 independent maybe like a bounty hunter mm-hmm. I, mean, I can agree with that i can also see the long-term plan being that eventually it, she does end up joining i think that's what they wanted to go for but they're gonna have to she's gonna have to go through a lot of maturity to get there <laughs> absolutely yeah because she was far removed from being anywhere near ready to serve she's on a, a starship she, she's more of a loose cannon than kirk was in the first movie <laughs> of that that's true reboot that's true <laughs> and he was uh, pretty far yeah mm-hmm. but uh uh back to rat the con but the one thing i like about rat the con the most is is that um for a star trek movie too I'll, I'll, as a kid i can always remember even to this day was the scene when the when the slug got put into Chekhov's ear and, and the other captain's mm-hmm. ear and oh, how absolutely. it was very horror movie-esque the way it was even filmed uh, that mm-hmm. always stuck with me when I was a kid until I was an adult. I just always remembered Rathacon being being memorable for that in particular moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. And I thought I, I also thought that uh, the Khan's theme music, the score of Khan, was really, really good. The music added so much to it. It was a terrifying, mm-hmm. terrifying piece of music. Mm-hmm. Like it, it turned it turned the really small ship of the Reliant into just a fearsome cruiser to be re- reckoned with. 
It's not a theme that goes bum 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 bum. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Oh no, that 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 is actually uh, that's the Klingon theme. Oh yeah, no, you're talking about the um. It's like yep. That's yeah. the one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they made the real life feel I, like a I, horror monster coming coming to, to attack the Enterprise. And they were they were unaware the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Until you know they started firing. <laughs> yeah, and the Reliant boy it tears the Enterprise apart. It it really does. Whew. Um but yeah, I think the biggest thing this movie's definitely known for though, when it comes down to it, of course, is the death of Spock. That's Mm-hmm. The most notable thing. Absolutely tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that one hurt a little bit. Not gonna lie. I would just love to have been when this movie came out to see that movie in the theater for the first time and actually mm-hmm. know that that Spock was was dead. Because I mean, when I saw mm-hmm. the movies, I knew Star Trek Three Spock came back. It was evident by that point because he was on the cover. Yeah. Movies called Search for Spock. To have that moment to, mm-hmm. see, to be that long-standing Star Trek fan and experience Spock's death, I wish I could have experienced that because that moment probably was powerful for fans back then. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was tough. The entire funeral of it was tough for everybody. Like, it, I still get mm-hmm. choked up watching that the, the yeah. entire last half of that. Mm-hmm. Because I know what's going to happen. I know what's coming. And I know the death is going to be hard. I don't think we had an ending of a Star Trek movie like that probably until until Nemesis when Data died. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, because everything kind of ended on a, a very high note for the rest of the movies. Yeah. Because you got, you got three coming along, Spock is back. End of four, you save the world from the giant probe. And the End whales. of five, you defeat God. I think, and then whether he was God or not, I still don't know fully I still, grasp that. <laughs> and but. then in the end of six, peace with the Klingons, and that's it's it's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Pretty much every movie begins with hope or ends with hope, and then until Nemesis, when it ends on a very very somber note. And it, it's sad because I wished Kirk's death was more sad when it when it got there. Yeah, it wasn't impactful but it enough. Was not close not even close no no and that's that's the thing too that like um i don't know uh, so i got a question for you and then actually oh, guys uh if you take if they were to complete like if say that the star trek universe at this point hadn't existed they made remade these movies to you know present day times and all that mm-hmm. and that scene in particular spock's death came up do you think it would still have the same impact on us now as it would have when it had originally happened or when we had first watched it? Or do you think um, it would have a less impactful uh, feeling to us? Hmm. Well, okay. I think we have been, as, a, as movie watchers and as television series watchers, we've become desensitized to the to death of major characters on screen, mm-hmm. I don't think it would hit as powerful because in almost every single universe there is a way to bring somebody back. Like yeah. even looking at the 
looking at the Marvel movies, like, oh yeah, they snapped, they lost, but they brought pretty much everybody back except for the very few characters who died in Infinity War. Yeah. You I've, watch it was... got, I've got my whole issues with that entire saga, and that's because I am just such a giant comic book nerd. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've read almost every single one of those in the Infinity Saga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the biggest problem with a lot of stuff today, you're right, Jeremy, is that a lot of deaths in a lot of movies or shows, they find a way to retcon so many deaths. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I kept hearing the talk about, oh, you know, maybe they'll find a way to bring Tony Stark back. I, and I just said, please don't, because what they will do with that is they will ruin his whole arc up until his death. Mm-hmm. They, will, they will ruin Endgame. Endgame will feel like a dumb movie if they retcon Tony's death. Yeah, it'll exactly. feel wasted. And, and yeah, it just it wouldn't make any sense. Like I find myself not enjoying shows because the characters deaths don't feel real. They mm-hmm. feel played out because that's what they want to do at that point. Yep. Like, yep. I don't know if you've, uh, you've guys seen Supernatural, the series that's going to be going on for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I watch it religiously. Yeah. And the thing is, is that both brothers have died numerous times have been brought back in the same kind of way it just doesn't make it seem believable like i'm i'm watching this last season mm-hmm. for i just want to see how it ends i mm-hmm. I'm, I'm waiting for a resolution to all this i'm waiting right. for a definable solution i want people i hate saying it but i want people to die and stay dead well that is the show's biggest problem is that they have they've killed and brought them both back so many times that mm-hmm. now if the show ends and they die it's just kind of like all right we've been here we've done this and okay I, now it's supposed to be permanent yeah you know so it's it, it wouldn't it would not have hit as hard nowadays because everyone expects them to be brought back well i don't know if you guys have seen the star trek picard series yet yes um the one thing they did very well and i am so happy they didn't do is that i was afraid that they were going to find a way to bring data back and they were going to eliminate that whole thing based on how it was going and instead they did Mm. it right the last episode gave data the proper send-off that he deserved Mm. the nemesis he did and i i applauded them for that ending Mm -hmm. although i'm still dumbfounded about because like you were saying it's so rare that you see any sort of TV show or film series that does something like that because they'll always find a way to retcon them back into existence. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, like, when it came to uh, Ben Solo dying at the end of Rise of Skywalker, I I just, it was more of a, okay, you killed somebody off because someone needed to die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was nobody else. And that was your only character that, that's what you could have done. I, I, I guess I wasn't as impressed with Ben dying at the end of that either. Well, no, the especially biggest... after the fact yeah. that, the, especially yeah. after the fact that they finally connected and worked together-ish. Just to pull it, pull the rug from out underneath it. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just okay. Well, especially since we had so many moments where Chewie could have died, where C three PO could have stayed, memory lost. You know, there were so many moments where these characters, there could have been emotional things. When Chewbacca got struck by lightning and that thing blew up, I thought, wow. I thought he was dead. He's dead. They like they, they pulled that. And then, then five minutes lie, later. When I saw that the first time, I was thinking to myself, thank God, they finally ended up not 
they finally yeah i know it's morbid but no i was thinking to myself that thank god they finally stopped get going on the streak of like glenn from walking dead trying to fool us into thinking that he was dead finally and they did that, they did that twice happening. before they did it mm-hmm yeah yeah I, I, all i remember is when chewy died i was like i was floored i was like oh my god they actually killed chewy and in that way yeah. okay and then five minutes later it's like oh no he's alive it's like oh i was kind of disappointed i was like you just ruined a really uh consequential moment in the final chapter that would have made it feel like a final chapter. And that was the, that was the rise of Skywalker's biggest issues is that it didn't take the risk of killing characters off and providing that last chapter we're in danger. Everything's on the line kind of thing. It missed, it mm -hmm. missed, it missed the ball on that one. Mm -hmm. And see, that's why I did like how they kind of redid that same scenario of Spock dying but yep. they replaced it with Kirk in Star Trek Into Darkness. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks that it should have been Spock because Kirk wouldn't have done it. I say, no, this is a completely different universe. They've been, they're completely different people than they are in the original movies. Correct. This is a different Kirk. He has different values. He could definitely, I could definitely see him risking his life to save the rest of his crew after finally learning the lesson that he's been trying to be taught for the last movie and a half. Absolutely. I, I believed it. I, I was bought into okay it. With it. Mm hmm Yeah. No, exactly. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I liked the fact too. Uh, so In a Darkness gets so much shit for that. And I it pisses me off because yes. I think the movie was very well done and deserves a lot more credit than what was given. Mm-hmm. Which obviously we'll dive more into once we get to there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. anyways, going back to it, going back to what we were working on here, uh any anyone else have anything else to add for Rathicon? No, uh, no, I think that's pretty much covers Wrath of Khan in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. But Search for Spock, yeah, that this this one's this one's interesting to talk about because this movie definitely is a really a polar opposite from Wrath of Khan. Yes, it is. It's what does it what does it feel like? What kind of a movie does it feel like to you? Oh, let's. I feel <laughs> it is an is a two part heist movie. <laughs> it, it basically One, is because they yeah. have to steal they have to steal the Enterprise, and then two they have to get off the the you know the Genesis planet before it explodes by tricking all the Klingons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My favorite scene still it's is when they're trying to get out of the space dock. I love it. I love it. Oh, it's so great! Mm -hmm. It's so great. Here, Doctor, from one surgeon to another. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's good. I love that. That's a good one. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, something that's just I like... I love... The... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say... I love the, the chemistry good. in this movie. Mm -hmm. The chemistry in this movie between all the characters is so fluid and great. I love every part of it. Mm-hmm. Because it, McCoy plays so well off of Kirk with his uh, half, like, Vulcan side to him now because he is, you know, partially mind-melded with Spock. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like Sulu needs more in this movie, to, to be fair. Yeah, he needs uh, more to do. He needs a lot more. But the main focus in this was Scotty, Kirk, and McCoy, for sure. 
Oh yeah, they were I like the three musketeers here. Part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tone of this movie is just it's different uh, from the con. Like this one, I'm seeing a lot of opinions on it. Like I'm seeing a lot of people that hate it. Some a lot of people that love it. I'm seeing a lot of people that are you know sitting on that fence of just they don't know what to think about it. But uh, whatever your opinion on it is, there's only one thing that you really should care about about this film because it's the embodiment of Star Trek's philosophy. Do you know what that is? Don't call Sulu tiny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it it reminds me me of that moment. uh, Was it in... um... Into Darkness, when uh, Kirk wants Sulu to command to to, to Khan to threaten him with the with the missiles, and the mm-hmm. looks over and says, "Mr. Sulu, remind me never to piss you off." I <laughs> loved yeah. that part. That was so great. I think mm-hmm. Sulu deserves so much more in these movies, and it just it it's a shame that his character was so beaten down into oblivion. Yeah. Oh no, I have to agree. Um, but getting back to the search for Spock, I, uh, what do you guys think on the recasting choice for Savick? Yeah, um, I don't really understand. Do you know the history as to why Christy Alley didn't come back? I think she asked for more money and they wouldn't give it to her. Or she was working on a different project. It was one of the two. I could see the more money thing because that's when she was kind of becoming a star in the mid to late 80s. Yeah, I think it was a good idea only because I'm just personally not a fan of Christy Alley's acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, she's believable in any role that she's in. Well, I think the I think the one that replaced her actually was better. I thought she was a better Savick anyway. Exactly. It was offered less money for Search for Spock than was uh, Wrath of Khan, but the thing is, she did have a smaller character in. Right. Uh, this movie that she did the one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had a smaller role. So I was still expecting to get paid like main cast money. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. she was doing bigger stuff and she was becoming a main character and now she wasn't a main character and still wanted main character money. Yep. I kind of almost wish now when they made Ratha Khan, the one that plays her in this actually would have played her in Ratha Khan. I kind of almost wish that now. Yeah, it probably would have been better. Uh, the I think the chemistry could have worked between everybody mm-hmm. there. It would have yeah. made more sense and would have been less confusing going into the third one. Yeah, and I thought this actress just she just played Vulcan better. The you know, the the cold stare, emotionless thing. Christy mm-hmm. Alley just kind of felt like stiff acting, where this one just felt natural. Yeah, exactly. She just felt kind of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um I also have to say, I applaud Christopher Lloyd for his role in this film. I still can't oh, believe yeah. it's Christopher Lloyd to this day. I still can't believe it. I can't believe it either. No. I mean, if you tell somebody, hey, Christopher Lloyd was in a, was in a Star Trek movie, they'll go, you're huh? foolish. You're full of shit. <laughs> you're full of shit. No, he wasn't. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, he was. Just right he before. Was, he was good. He yeah. He was real good. He was really good. You know what's funny, too? This is actually the year, I think, the year before Back to the Future, too. Yeah, 1984. Which is hard to believe because I, I can't see him with that makeup on and then see him as Doc Brown a year later. It's just, <laughs> it's strange. And then one of the trivia pieces I'm seeing for this film here, mm-hmm. it's that, you know, 
Leonard Nimoy actually invented that the famous Vulcan hand salute. He did? Yeah, he did. He did. He devised the salute for the original series episode, A Mock Time, when he huh. felt the character needed a special way to greet his Vulcan matriarch. Wow, he should have got some extra money. That's like the thing now. That's like the thing Star Trek is known for. That's a, also a part of the documentary. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's so good. I can't I can't praise it enough. I gotta um, watch it now. I I will think that I will say about uh, Star Trek Three is that as a kid it was kind of hard watching it because I, as a kid I could not handle the death of David. Yeah, oh, yeah, his, yeah that was his, hard. His death gurgle was so like, it was very loud and very prominent in my like I can still hear it right now. Uh huh. But it was just more of a kind of disgusts me like how gruesome he was killed <laughs> yeah for you not really being able to see the death the way it's filmed it was actually mm -hmm. pretty brutal mm -hmm. it was still pretty brutal and yeah exactly uh-huh he tried to hold his own but he did not make it no unfortunately battle of the klingon is not the uh you don't see many humans win those battles no no <laughs> Um, but uh, I think the one thing, too, I like about this, too, is that, you know, that they were gutsy enough to destroy the Enterprise the way they did. And um, yeah, going into Star Trek Four, basically being a movie without a Starfleet ship, you know, without the Enterprise, mm -hmm. that was a ballsy move. Yeah. And, and boy, it was. did it work. It did. I, I loved every portion of... Uh, the Voyage Home. I think it it, it kind of comes in as a favorite for most Star Trek fans. I think my parents just regard it as their favorite because it's the one with the whales. Yep. Because <laughs> it's the one that feels the most realistic because it goes back to the time that we kind of live in right mm -hmm. now. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Captain, there'll be whales here. <laughs> <laughs> but I also always remember the line I, when, when Kirk's crossing the street. Double dumbass on you. <laughs> I love that line. I love that. It's so great. <laughs> the scene on the bus with Spock when he gives the guy the Vulcan nerve pitch with the loud, uh, the loud radio. Just there's so many moments in yep. this movie that are so memorable. It is. It's so great. Mm -hmm. Sulu flying a helicopter and then putting on the oh, uh, windshield wipers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this the one Star Trek movie where everybody is actually given something memorable to do. Yeah. Because you got uh, Kirk and Spock looking for the whales and talking with what is her name? I just had it. Um, uh, the the chick who's in, par in charge of the whales. Oh, um, crap. What is her name? Um, <clears throat> shit. I guess it wasn't a memorable name. No, it was there. It's there. It's going to work. Where is it? Survey says. <laughs> Do the Jeopardy thing. Uh, Jillian. Jillian Taylor. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they're going after that. Both Uhura and Chekhov have to find the nuclear vessels. <laughs> nuclear vessels. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then. Uh, the Doctor and Scotty and Sulu have to make the tank. Which mm -hmm. is a fun adventure in themselves. <laughs> I, I just, 
transparent aluminum? I like the, I like when they're on that ship oh. and they're looking for the, we're looking for the uh, what is it the, uh, the 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 missiles or the uh, the the oh, what were they trying to find on there? I'm, I'm sure. For they, now. I, I thought it was a, the. They're trying to find like anti-protons or something. Yeah. To take out of the reactor or whatnot. And that's how they get captured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, 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 it goes back to the simple fact of the matter is that everybody in the movie is given a moment to shine. And that, that's what almost makes me wish that the other Star Trek movies would have done that, that they would have given each cast mm -hmm. their, their moment I, to shine. This is why this was, out of the original movies, this was probably one of my favorites out of them mm -hmm. all, because mm -hmm. of the fact yep. they like, gave everyone their own little story in this that mm -hmm. gave them you know, a little bit more depth. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's sad that we go from this movie to the final frontier because it, it just, it doesn't flow well. It's all, it's all about Spock and his half brother that we're learning. We never about hear about. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, a thing is I'm wondering, will they bring that up in uh, in any other shows, like if they if they try that again, well, I know that Discovery kind of ended by going way into the future and whatnot. But yeah. I heard that they're trying to make a um, an another Enterprise show based off of the crew that was in Discovery. Yeah, Beyond New World is going to be about Pike and, and that crew, but right before uh, right before Kirk. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, Discovery did a good job of that because that, that was the biggest gripe I had with Discovery before this last season because, you know, they kept talking about how Spock had this sister and it's like, well, when the hell was that ever mentioned? Not, not once, but they did a great mm -hmm. job of finally getting themselves out of that hole because I was like, okay, they, they did this storyline because they knew they, they dug themselves a hole and they had to find a way to get themselves out of it. And it worked, I guess. It did. Big we'll cover-up. Because mm -hmm. there's no way that in any universe you'd not find out about a spore drive that's that cool. Yeah. And yeah. that advanced. <laughs> I mean, we pretty much know at this point that with them being stuck in the future, they're not going to get back because history never shows. Yep. So it makes me wonder if they're going to end up like maybe like in one of the other shows, universes in time. Could be. Could be. It's possible. You never know. Never know. Um. But yeah, the final the fi frontier, huh? What does God need with the starship? Yeah, <laughs> that is the most puzzling question, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I did not, I, I did not like the whole premise of the movie. I didn't like the fact that it was suddenly Klingons were after them for some apparent reason, just because this Klingon captain wanted glory or whatnot. Oh, mm -hmm. sure, let's bring on a war because I want glory, like. I, I didn't understand his motives besides the fact that he was Klingon. It was very basic Klingon. You know, I just realized too, the Klingons are the villains in four of these six movies. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I'm in Voyage Home, maybe not so much. No, uh, Voyage Home, not because the probe is not a part of that. It was. It took out Klingon ships. It took on Federation ships going to Earth. So three of the six. So half these movies are about the Klingons. And I would. Yeah. Yeah. 
which is, I mean, I, it's kind of what brings Kirk's character into more focus, but it, five just felt like a massive dumpster fire compared to all the rest of these movies. Yeah, I think it you're right too. I think Kirk felt Kirk, like a massive dumpster fire, or it was a massive dumpster fire. Well, borderline was. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said with the Klingon too. Like Kirk, Kirk is the Klingon as Picard is the Borg, is basically the, in a nutshell, kind of the the way they. I guess. A thing is, is that the thing is is that Picard dealt with more. He dealt with <laughs> Romulans too. Like he was, yeah. I'd say that in TNG, I think there was more prominent Romulan tension than there was the the big Borg thing. Because Borg, sure. when they show up, it's usually a big two-parter and it's mm-hmm. super intense situation. Well, the Romulans was just a constant tension building with them. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. I guess yeah, then there I guess was a could few Cardassian episodes too. Like I, I. I I liked Picard versus the Borg and versus the Romulans. I love both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Where I feel like Kirk is more just him fighting himself and then the Klingons. <laughs> Trying yeah. to become more than a two sided character just didn't do it for him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you guys this question because we're talking about dumpster fires for Foy- for Final Frontier. And, and, um, I mean, I think the most disregarded next gen film mainly is is Nemesis for the most part, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people will compare Final Frontier to Nemesis, which I think is kind of unfair because in a way they they're not the same kind oh, of is. dumpster fire. See, the thing is, I I like Nemesis far more than I do. Oh God, yeah, the Final Frontier. Absolutely, I, I don't. Like, I, I think the one that I still need to watch from the TNG ones is uh, um, Insurrection. See, I like Insurrection mainly because, you know what, it may feel like an extended episode of Next Generation, but to me, I almost like the ending of Insurrection as an ending to Next Gen than Nemesis. I think I'll have to just watch that again to see mm-hmm. if I can get back. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to as well. Mm-hmm. Well, but, then uh, we're just going to see when we get there. That's right. <laughs> Um, but here, here's a good question. What makes The Final Frontier such a dumpster fire? The bad writing. It, it's it's bad in yeah. every aspect. The Klingons aren't believable Klingons. The, the Vulcan, his half-brother is a Vulcan, like, what, extremist? Who, yeah. Who is not logic driven but emotionally driven so in essence he's a romulan like it, it, that's because yeah. aren't Rom, aren't romulans just basically uh vulcans but bad that's how i always saw are, it. are we looking for, are we looking at this guy as like the bridge between those that's has good intentions but they initially fall apart I also think another big reason why this movie was such a big dumpster fire was that Shatner had no prior experience being a feature director. He had no business directing this movie. Mm -hmm. None. Because I'm looking at this, Shatner would claim that producers meddled with his portrayal of God for political reasons. 
preventing him from exploring the idea he wanted. But why why go into the God thing? Like that Yeah. I uh, going into Star Trek, I never think as God as being a prominent No, not at all. I wouldn't have thing. expected it to be brought up no. period. No. Religion has never really been something that's really been touched upon in Star Trek because really why? So when you think about it, in a lot of sci-fi movies in this area, like Star Trek, Star Wars, any other films like this, you never really see God brought up at all. It's because there's not really a need for that kind of a figure in these kind of universes. Because, uh, and I know that this is, uh, it's just straying away, but it's when you look at Starfleet and the the society that it's in they don't have need for money they don't they don't worship gods like they they explain it in the next generation but it's just more if they put you know the tribal god god images behind us they put ideals of communism and things way back like i feel like this movie just kind of betrays everything that star trek is because they're trying to focus on a all-powerful godlike figure yeah. yeah. It's almost like if Q was trapped on a planet, but Q is much better than whatever this guy was. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lightning Eyes. <laughs> yeah, to this day, they, they, have, they never really explained what he was. No. And that's that's hey. another thing. It just, you don't... You're given a barren planet with the one being in a Stonehenge-type area. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to connect this to Earth? Like, you, you don't really give much besides some scenery. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah. You want us to assume and care about what's going on when, honestly, it's just like, okay, what are they going to find? Right, right. And I've always viewed it, too, where this was never God. It, to me, it was, it was a God-like presence that he he wanted i i think he was like this this entity that was trapped on this planet and he needed that starship to get away from where he wanted to go mm-hmm. um but they but they never really clarified that and that's the film's biggest glaring problem the movie's about that but yet it doesn't explain what the movie's actually about it does mm-hmm. it, it, it it's almost like it doesn't even put itself or talk itself into a, into a hole or bury itself in a hole it's just that the movie just thinks Eh, people will create their own judgment. We don't need to explain this. We'll just basically say it's probably not God, but that's all we're gonna say. Yeah, yeah. It didn't. It didn't flow well. Uh, it it felt like um, the ending episode to season one of TNG where Tashiar died. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was a. It was as much as he was much bigger. He did not feel as nearly ferocious as intimidating as uh, that tar being like that was there yeah yeah that's true i feel like that was that was kind of the episode that we're looking at we're looking at an abandoned planet with a being that's stuck there and needs a starship to get off of and he didn't really have much lethal power like he shot lightning at you but it only looked like he like basic tasing like Mm -hmm. yeah like lightning bolts coming from himself or, or the sky but my question is if he's an entity which he looks like an entity that's just like this big ghost-like thing how exactly was he going to get on the starship 
I, well, the, he had that beam of light going out and everything. I think it was the giant, the great barrier, they called it. Right. I think that's what was keeping him in, and the starship was the only way to get him out. Like the starship had something that they could bottle him up and take him where he wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. he said, bring, he kept saying, bring the ship closer. Like, the, I mean, when you looked at it, the Enterprise was getting close to the beam of light that was shooting outside the planet. Mm -hmm. But how it would have achieved that, we don't know because there wasn't enough information on mm -hmm. Shakari or some other thing. I have to ask, too. I also. With effects. Does anybody else notice, too, that yeah. the effects in this movie are very shoddy compared to the other ones? Very yeah, cheap. Yeah, no, they, they were. Yeah, they were. I mean, it was very noticeable that the studio was looking to save money on this movie, which I don't know why, because Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 did very well financially. They should have been in a position where they'd want to make a movie with more money, which is what Star Trek 6 exactly. ends up being. Mm-hmm. It just... Uh, it, thing... It, it, <sighs> Bad effects, bad writing, because everything seemed to always go wrong at the, the the opportune time. Like, I know that's how it's supposed to work. There's supposed to be conflict and everything, but oh no, we, the Klingons hit us exactly where we were trying to, you know, get power to, and uh, you know, the transporters and everything, so we could beam up the captain. But no, they had to shoot them out. Yeah, how how would you even know? The Klingons feel useless in this movie. They don't even feel like they even belong here. They feel like that they got onto the wrong movie set today. Like, oh, we're just going to jump into the movie here today and we're going to cause trouble for five minutes and go away. That was they, it. Yeah, they just felt like that they were just thrown in here just because, hmm, let's throw the Klingons in there because that would just be cool. Yeah. Just because Whatever. we haven't had enough movies with Klingons as a villain in there, so let's throw them in here somewhere. Well, we'll throw them into Star Trek Six because that's they're the whole uh, they're the whole point behind Star Trek Six. And I think that I think that Star Trek Six is a fantastic masterpiece of a film. I compare mm -hmm. it highly to The Voyage Home, being good in both writing. The dramatic yep. style of it is so great. The action it doesn't seem so overbearing that you're just seeing action all the time. And there's yeah. character development with everybody. Yeah, everybody's doing something. I'll just say it. Now. Although the one thing. The one thing I don't like about um, the movie, and I think this is just me being petty, is that Uhura can't speak fluent Klingon, being a communications officer. Yeah, that's a little bit of bullshit. <laughs> and then going yeah. into into darkness, fast forward to that movie, and she can speak a little bit, yeah. but she's rusty. Like, if she speaks it better there, than she, she ever got close there. to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, I'll, but I'll say it now, though. Actually, a Star Trek VI actually is my favorite, and that's mainly because I like everything with the Klingons comes to head. You know, uh, Kirk's relationship with his son comes back to the forefront here, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, his hatred. We finally get exposed his full-on hatred for the Klingons, but it comes back to bite him in the ass in the trial, which I loved that that came back to bite him with his logs. Um yeah. And everything on Rua Pinte, I just I, I like I like the set design here. I like yes. I, I just like everything about Rua Pinte, and it's, I think it just it just works. It just works. Exactly. Mm -hmm. None throughout the galaxy is the aliens' graveyard. <laughs> Why not just kill them now and get it over with? <laughs> but you know what? This movie does kind of almost have the perfect ending, and it kind of almost makes me upset that Kirk does come back in Generations because. I think this movie was such a perfect ending 
for that crew that I think they should have just let it let it be and done the next gen movie without Kirk there. Well, the general who who would they would have done or gone through to replace uh, Kirk in that um, in that movie in Generations? Who would you have picked to 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 pull that off? I don't know. I mean, that, that's a tough question. I mean, to be honest, if it were me, I probably just would have wrote it differently to write around it. But um, I don't know. I think it was the one movie that they wanted to connect both universes. And yeah. that was the, to do it the two captains way is the way to do it. Yeah. Oh, well, I agree. Generations really is the ultimate fan service film in a lot of ways. <laughs> and that's fine. I, I'm okay with fan service too. To a, to a degree. Um, and I, I mean, I still like Generations. I still like the way Kirk is still incorporated in there. It's just it's just the problem with Star Trek VI being so perfect that him coming back just didn't feel like it was necessary. Well, it, it, the thing is that he wasn't a career officer at that point. He was retired. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. just him trying to get over the regret of being retired. Right. Because he just... He, in the beginning of that movie, he didn't feel at ease. Like he was always stiff because mm-hmm. he was just, he wanted to be in that captain's chair. He wanted to be in the Enterprise B chair, which would have been a massive improvement over the current captain, but we're not going to get into it this time. Uh, yeah, I, that, 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 that's a whole different topic conversation for that one. That's, that, that's, yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get there when the time comes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I really liked, I liked the politics in Undiscovered mm-hmm. Country. Yep. I liked the new technologies, the bird of prey that can firewall cloaked. Mm-hmm. I liked the, I, as much as uh, Sulu gets kind of a back-ended like seat in all the other movies, I feel like this one is really where he shines mm-hmm. as a captain of a starship. Well, he, gets he has, a, his, yeah. He has the seat and he has the Excelsior. Like that is super, super cool. And not only that too, he gets the first scene in the movie, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. This movie too, um, it has a very different visual look too than the other mm-hmm. ones. It, this, this actually, to be honest, I think this is the more, the most cinematic movie-like one out of them all lo- looking. Yes, it's it, this is this is the culmination of all the mistakes that have been made up until this point, yep. and they fine tuned everything that made all the other movies good, mm-hmm. and then they just they, it was a perfect. I thought I thought it was a perfect movie, mm-hmm. and, and that's why it's my favorite because I just think that it just does everything right. Everything yes. that those movies did wrong, it's not existent here. Everything that it did right up to this point, it's in this movie, and then some. Yeah, I I could yeah. not tell you anything that I found wrong about the movie. Mm-mm. I can't. Besides I can't. the Uhura thing, that's the only thing. Yeah, like there were so minute things that could have been wrong with this film that they're just not really anything worth mm-hmm. mentioning because the film itself was probably the best in the franchise. Mm. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I look at if I include every film. And it was Star Trek Six. I mean, Star Trek Six definitely is. It's it's up there. I mean, it's it's way up there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, for the for the most part, I, I think it's easy too because this movie followed the Final Frontier, and that movie looks like a piece of dog shit compared to this. I mean, literally, it's hard to believe that it's even a sequel to that movie. Um, 
But I guess the biggest question there is, you know, I'm looking at Final Frontier now, and I look at the motion picture, and I'm really having a hard time deciding which one I dislike more. Between which ones? Motion picture and Final Frontier. Uh, it's a tough competition for the bottom. <laughs> yeah, it is. But my my, I'm throwing my head in for a motion picture. Yeah. Only because of just how clunky it felt throughout the entire film and I how think might... dry it was. Yeah, because you know, at least the final frontier has some moments, and the movie's not boring. Mm-hmm. Where the motion picture is just it, flat it, out boring. It is. It's so boring. It's just one, one computer screen after another. Yeah. It just felt like one line so, of dialogue after another. Is yeah, just... I have to like. Final Frontier wasn't boring in the sense that motion picture was, but mm -hmm. Final Frontier left me with more questions than anything else. Like, why did I watch this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could have easily skipped over five and nothing would have changed because there was no, there was barely any character development. No, the oh, only yeah. thing from Star Trek five you could take into Star Trek six is they get their new Enterprise. That's yep. it. That's it. I mean, have, you can still skip over five, it. though, because if you go into six, that's not really even a problem, because when they get on the Enterprise in six, it does feel like a brand new ship, too. Mm hmm Because it has all the problems. Yeah, it does. And so, oh, gosh. I, I loved the, the look of the bridge in episodes, or in uh, the sixth movie. I wish we would have gotten that in all of them. Felt, oh, it was so nice. Mm hmm I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. <laughs> yeah. I, I do like Star Trek, man. I, I can't I can't gush enough over six. I, mm -hmm. I I I can't find anything bad to say about it. I can't because there was it was drama everywhere. It wasn't just it wasn't just humans versus Klingons. It was Vulcans. It was Romulans. Yep. It was everybody who was in this. Even Starfleet was a problem because yes. they were willing to let Kirk die there. Hmm. Uh huh. It just, it just small price to right. pay like, for one uh, thing that I'm seeing about. Uh, Undiscovered country, though, mm -hmm. uh, before it went into development, Paramount actually wanted to recast the lead actors and make a prequel set during the time during their time at Starfleet Academy. No, wow, that would have failed. Oh, miserably, I wouldn't have watched it. That I probably, yeah, I would have watched have... it only because I want to. I wanted to see just if it would have failed as badly as you know people would have thought. Well, we essentially got that movie with with the Chris Pine movies. Yeah, in yeah, a way. In a way, yeah, but that was I call that more of a reboot to the franchise than anything else. Yeah, because that timeline stands on its own; it's not mm -hmm. continuity to the rest of the universe as we know it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm glad Paramount didn't go that direction because that would have been an Oh, I think that might have killed the franchise permanently. I think that might have buried have. it in the ground. Mm -hmm. Yep. Also, well, that I, Christian Slater had a cameo in this film. Uh, so had a low-key cameo in the film, and that he was yeah. such a hardcore Trekkie that he didn't even cash his check for the gig. He framed it. You know what's funny about that? You say about a cameo from a guy who was a Star Trek lover. That's the same thing that Brian Singer got in Star Trek Nemesis because he was such a big uh, Star Trek lover that in Nemesis, he was the guy that got blown out the view screen when the view screen got blown out. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So it's kind of funny how they both got those parts different for their love. That's that's kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. Um, but okay. Uh, so let's uh, let's break down. What what's your guys's um order in which you like these movies? Are we going from least favorite to to favorite? Well, uh, let's go least to best. I have, but obviously it's going to be a toss up forever between one and five is which one's going to be the least. Yeah. I mean, that one you could flip flop either one for first and second, and I don't think there would be any a lot of people that would disagree with you. No, it might depend depends on your mood, I think. Yeah. At the given moment. Yeah. Uh, from there, I'd have to say four. Then mm-hmm. Wrath of Khan. Then search for Spock, and then my favorite has to be uh, Undiscovered Country. Okay. Uh, same uh, start. I'll put one at the bottom, followed mm-hmm. by five. Uh, after that, I think I'm going to go with. Oh, that's a that's really tough because those are really good four movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll put Search for Spock in that next place uh voyage home wrath of khan then uh undiscovered country at top okay uh yeah i'd have to go one then five um so one five search for spock wrath of khan Voyage Home, Undiscovered Country. Okay. It pains me to put Wrath of Khan at number three, but I just like Voyage Home and Undiscovered Country more, unfortunately. Yeah, to each their own. Yeah. Well, the thing that, that, that's never, interesting. That's where a lot of people are going to differ. It's a matter of what they, the, what the different nuances right. in each film that they preferred over the others. Yeah. Well, it seems universally. The only agreement that everyone is going to have is one in five were horrible. Yeah, one was dry exactly. and felt like a barren wasteland. You have more fun watching paint dry on a wall, pretty much. And five felt like you were coming off an acid trip at the end of the movie. A little bit. Did this, did this movie actually happen? <laughs> well, yeah. we could we, we could we could ignore it. Not wa- you know we could just not watch one and five and just watch two, three, four, and six, and that would be. That'd be fine. That would be fine. That would be yeah. great. Just forget those two existed. Pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. The Buy the is, box set, throw them in the trash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, 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 here. Speaking of that, we'll just, we'll just do I wouldn't this. even buy oh, those I, from I, I could, you, 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 you got that. I myself do that. <laughs> Only because oh, here he goes. I love here he goes. collection. Here, the motion picture, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and five. There it is. No, so no, now, Mike, we've only got the four might, movies. You might want to hold on to those. You never know. The horrible movies are still making a lot of money on eBay. That's true. <laughs> so now the original motion picture collection is just Star Trek 1 or 2, 3, 4, and uh, 6. What are you talking about, Mike? There's only 1 through 4. It, okay, fair enough. Undiscovered Country is Star Trek point. 4. That's a good point. All right, that's <laughs> fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, but you know what's surprising, too, is that Star Trek, Wrath of Khan is universally, they always say it's the best Trek movie. You know, I, I, Star Trek 2 actually, it's funny because I watched Star Trek 2 last night instead. I kind of just, mm-hmm. I watched them kind of out of order. And and I like Wrath of Khan, but I, 
if I watch Wrath of Khan to Undiscovered Country, I, I'm, it's like, I'm sorry, but Six is just a better overall Star Trek movie. It just, yes, it's more Star Trek-y than Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Six is a better overall sci-fi movie in general than a lot of sci-fi movies that have come out since. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, Wrath of Khan is more a Star Trek action film yep. to where Undiscovered Country is a sci-fi drama film where it mm-hmm. does take it all that into account but is layered better. Exactly. Because the, the only drama that you get from 2 is a slight betrayal by Chekhov that doesn't turn into a betrayal and then the death mm-hmm. of Spock at the end of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what the Chris Pine yeah. movies got got uh, kind of the, the biggest gripe people had was that the Chris Pine movies were mainly Star Trek action films and they weren't enough of what Star Trek is. And I can kind of kind of see that. But I think those movies were made to fit the audience of the times because Star Trek was in a situation where after Nemesis and it had bombed and Enterprise had gone off the air, Star Trek had reached a point where... There, it was, there was nothing there. It was just gone. Mm-hmm. It looked like Star Trek was dead. And the Chris Pine movies were the perfect way to rejuvenize the franchise. And now the TV shows are going back to what Trek is, and that's why they're working. Really because, mm-hmm, and those yes. Chris Pine movies are responsible, yeah. for, or responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do agree with you. They had to get to their audience. And if they went too much of a science-y sort of route with Star Trek and these new films, it yep. would have been a bust. Yep. It would have been an absolute bust. Mm-hmm. See, oh, there, they had to find that good balance. Yeah. Right. I can't say anymore because we're not even we're not even there yet. No. <laughs> no we want to make sure we have that stuff to talk about for that. We don't want to get too far into that. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, so overall, so yeah, so it seems like pretty much universal. We all agree on the one we really pretty much hate the most and we agree on the one we all love the most yeah yeah wow. surprising yeah yeah that might be a first for this uh podcast i think <laughs> for retrospectives we all agree on the worst and we agree on the best see that that's the thing that's why we don't have al here he would throw the wrench and say that bullshit he, would be, the, he would be the one that says that final mm. frontier was the best oh that's what i was just thinking he, he would say would. final frontier was the best one he'd say i like the gods in it or the form of gods in it and and uh he'd say i like the fact too that um that uh that spock has a brother and i'd say uh al um you do realize that wasn't god right he'd be like oh no no. Okay. Never mind. Never oh, mind. He'll be like, "No, I only watched like uh, three four, three quarters of the movie, and then I stopped yep. mm-hmm. because I wanted enough ammo to get to the rest of you." <laughs> well, then he probably changed and goes, "You know what? No, my favorite motion picture." I'd go, "I quit. I quit. I I, 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 I can't talk to you. I can't talk to you." You know how he tried to pull that crap with me on Solo, saying, "I can't go down that path, uh, Mike, with Solo." Well, I can't go down your Final Frontier or motion picture path. Not. Nope. <laughs> Nope, no way in hell. Which is too bad. Solo is a good movie, but we were, we, we've already talked about. It. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I <clears throat> Kavasic doesn't like it. He's like Alistair on this one. I, 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 I did mm. not like that movie in the slightest. You know, you and Alistair just well, just everyone... do a podcast on your hatred for Solo. That'd make a good podcast. <laughs> and then we'll cameo oh, in halfway, no. and we'll say, "Screw you both! It's a good movie. We're out." 
Here, I have, a, I have a suggestion, okay? Mike, you sit there as a mediator and record while those two trash talk it. It's going to be the episode Everything Wrong with a solo story, but it's it's not going to be that Cinema Sins crap that you see on YouTube. Uh-uh. No, no. And then at the end, all of a sudden, Jeremy will come in with a screen like this and he'll go, okay, so you guys ready for the real perspective on solo? The true perspective? <laughs> <laughs> But like I tried my best to give Solo uh, its fair shot to me. Like I've watched it multiple times since me and you have talked about it, Mike, back before the day. Yeah, and it's just it just never got a warm and fuzzy for me. Fair enough. I mean, that's just too bad. I mean, that's the thing is that we can't. We can always have differing opinions. It's just Mm -hmm. being okay with it at the end of the day even though I'm not okay with Alistair's opinions. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, Al, Al, Alistair does it just, just to create the drama. He, he, he's the he drama does. maker. He of has a, mm-hmm. You watch every single one of these videos, you'll see a smile on his face because he's coming in with that bit of information that's yep. going to set us all off. <laughs> well, he, he, he has to have that it's sticky moment. Which is why I'm sure everyone's looking forward to the last uh, perspective of the Marvel MCU Universe. Yeah, it this next one's gonna be tough. I've mm-hmm. watched all those movies, and I just oh, especially after um, you know, Chadwick's passing. What's ha- what is, uh, yeah, what yeah. has happened recently? But you know, we seem to really get off topic in the end part that's portion okay. of this. That's, okay. <laughs> that's all right. Wait, at the end, we, hey, we do that's that always end. fine. That's okay. Well, we'll 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 take it as this. We're previewing what's to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but uh, side note with that though, they did Marvel did announce their plans on how they're going to continue Black Panther though. Oh, what didn't actually that? hear that. The the, the sister is going to take over as Black Panther. I'm okay Good. with that. Mm-hmm. Good, they're makes the most actually sense. Actually, following comic lore then. Yep. Yep. That'll be good. I, I know they're not rushing it. They said they're going to wait a while before they do it because they want to respect it. Um. But it, it might not be for five or six years down the road, but that's how they can. That's how they're going to continue it. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. But uh, so okay. this means that you know, instead of being in phase four, it'll be more like phase five or something like that. Then could be, could be, yeah. But if, uh, if they're able to continue that streak at that point, yeah, if they're still if they're still, still running a hot streak. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But okay, I'm so sure they will. It's there's su- it's such a big franchise. They'll probably be all right for a while yet. But yeah, so but, uh, so yeah, so our next podcast will be on the next gen movies. Uh, only four of those, so that'll be a little bit, a little bit simpler and a little bit easier to condense down a little bit. Um, but it'll still be a good conversation because there's a lot of uh, divide amongst fans on those next gen movies. Which I will say, I will be coming in hot with my. Uh, with my takes on uh, Nemesis, because Ooh. I think that is a great movie. <laughs> I think it gets too much hate. That it, 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 hate it doesn't really deserve. does get too much hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, the movie's not as bad. The only thing that bothers me about Nemesis is that I know that there's a director's cut out there or a producer's cut or whatever they're calling it, extended cut, mm-hmm. that from what I hear is a lot better than what we got. And if you look at the deleted oh. scenes, there are so many Data and Picard moments that should have been in that film and they were cut and yes. it was wrong. Yep. I have I have seen all of those deleted scenes and I feel like, why didn't they include all this? This is great. I'd like to see every scene put back in there. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be mm-hmm. a better movie for it. 
I would like the Wesley deleted scene to be taken out of it, though. I could be fine with that. Well, that whole Wesley thing is confusing because how he was written out of Next Gen doesn't make sense with how he came back. But that's a whole different mm-hmm. topic of conversation. Yeah. yeah. But um, next next episode. <laughs> next episode. Look out for it. But okay, guys. So uh, thanks right. for listening to our Star Trek podcast, and we will see you all on the Next Gen films. Second yeah, and straight on till morning. Make it so. The final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone.